If you're ready to elevate your level of care and professional satisfaction, register today for the trusted DPC event that can help get you where you want to go. With three physician-led tracks focusing on starting a DPC practice, growing a DPC practice, and clinical expertise within a DPC practice, the Direct Primary Care Summit has content for anyone no matter where you are in your DPC journey. The DPC Summit is happening June 20th to 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Learn more and register today at dpcsummit.org. A special note before today's episode. Lots is coming down the pipeline over here at My DPC Story, so head on over to mydpcstory.com today to become a My DPC Story insider and subscribe to our newsletter because that's where we'll be sending the word out about exclusive events, exciting updates, resources, and much more. Now, on to today's episode. Direct primary care is an innovative alternative path to insurance-driven healthcare. Typically, patients pay their doctor a low monthly membership and, in return, build a lasting relationship with their doctor and have their doctor available at their fingertips. Direct primary care is what allows me the freedom and the privilege to build meaningful relationships with patients that both allow patients to receive attentive and personalized care and allows me as a physician to truly care about and to care for each patient in the way that they truly deserve. I am Dr. Kissy Blackwell, and this is my DPC story. Dr. Kissy Blackwell graduated from the University of Texas Southwestern Medical School in Dallas, Texas in 2006 and from the John Peter Smith Family Medicine Residency in 2009. She practiced for five years in Fort Worth at John Peter Smith Hospital and moved back to her hometown of Wichita Falls in 2014. After almost three years of working with United Regional Physician Group, she ventured to open her own direct primary care practice and bring a new kind of health care to the Wichita Falls area. She has been serving the DPC Alliance as secretary since December of 2020, and she opened Clarity Direct Care in 2017. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Blackwell. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Marielle. It's definitely my pleasure. I want to start with Clarity. Clarity Direct Care being the name of your direct primary care practice. Can you share with the listeners about your name choice? Absolutely. Um, I think I wanted to find one word that I kind of felt like embodied what healthcare should be and kind of what defined DPC for me. So I remember sitting down and writing down like a bazillion different words. Um, and I kept thinking, well, people aren't going to be able to spell that. And that one's too long. And that one just doesn't sound right. And clarity, I mean, as soon as I kind of had that word, it was sort of a moment of clarity for me. So <laughs> um, that's kind of how I chose it. And I, and I always knew I wanted it to be something direct care. And so... Um, once I came to Clarity, it was just right in my head that that was what it should be. After you decided on Clarity Direct Care, did you go about designing your own logo or did you have someone design it? No. So um, my cousin, who is a graphic designer and does a lot of website building and things, um, she did all of my branding and she created my website. 
Um, and she actually now act- has created, I believe it's about six different doctors um, in DPC. And so I was her first and she learned about DPC through me. And so now she's been able to do that for others. And um, I really appreciate all her work because she did a beautiful job. Kissy, prior to opening your doors in DPC, you were with United Regional Physician Group. Can you share about your transition and what was your practice like? So I actually had been in fee-for-service practice for eight years prior to opening my DPC. Um, Originally, I had been um, in Fort Worth at John Peter Smith Hospital, and I had stayed on after residency in, in um, in the community clinic. Um, and I knew that I, I had actually heard about DPC during that time and I really loved the idea of it. And, um, I knew that that's what I wanted to do, but I wasn't sure exactly how I was going to do it. So when I finally decided to move to Wichita Falls, um, I decided I, I probably needed to establish here first, uh, before I opened a DPC practice. And so I decided to join United Regional Physician Group with the idea that at some point in time, I was probably going to open my own practice. Um, and so for a little bit, I wasn't sure that I was going to do that, but there was definitely a point in time where I felt like, okay, I'm really so burned out and I'm so tired and they're pushing me to do more and more. And I was ready. Um, so in 2016, I actually went to the direct primary care summit, the AAFP um, summit, with my dad, um, who is also a family medicine physician and also a DPC doctor now, which is great and a different story. But uh, so my dad and I went to the summit. And as soon as we came back from the summit, I told my dad, this is it. This is what I want to do. And I'm going to start now. And as soon as I got home, I actually uh, sat down and talked with my husband The next day, we sold both of our cars and got something that was much less expensive. We sat down and created a family budget, and I started planning what I was going to do to make sure that I had enough money to do what I wanted to do. That's fantastic and such a unique story. At the 2019 summit in Chicago, I sat at a a table with a resident um, who was there with both of his parents. So that is fantastic that you and your dad went to the summit. I did not know that before. Yeah, it was great. And, you know, and we can certainly talk about this later, but um, I helped my parents transition two years ago into DPC and they're both family medicine as well. So I'm very proud of that. I did not know that at all. Yes, it was great. They were both actually Um, private practice for... 30 plus years and then ended up, um, they were having some trouble with just, you know, keeping up with all the regulations. And so they decided to join United Regional Physician Group, which actually just right after I joined them as well. And, you know, it was just a nightmare for them. They'd never really been employed like that. And they finally decided they were either going to have to retire or do something else. And I kept egging them on, like, please don't retire. Like, let me help you transition to DPC. And sure enough, they um, they love it now. They're doing really well and, and they haven't retired. So their patients still have them, which is great. That's what I was going to ask. Are they now never going to retire? Because are they so happy with their new? Um, that's probably that's not amazing. The case. I think my dad is still looking forward to retirement, yeah. but not as soon as what they would have done before. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, that is so awesome. This is like, I'm so excited about this because I mean, it's like taking, getting people involved to the next level. I mean, you went forwards instead of backwards. We're always talking about the pipeline and affecting medical students. Like your yeah, freaking parents yeah. are doing TBC. It's great. That's it's probably so cool. one of the, the best things I could have done through this whole thing was to help my parents transition. When you opened your doors and when you transitioned from United Regional Physician Group, so you are famous for quote unquote, <laughs> drinking from the fire hose. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means? Of course, no one ever knows when they start DPC exactly how many patients might come with them or whether they're going to be able to, um, you know, afford to pay themselves during that time. And so I had actually had a friend that had just started DPC and he kept telling me that I needed to save up at least $50,000 before I started. So I took an entire year and I moonlighted every Saturday for an entire year until I built up 50K. And because I'm the the main breadwinner of our family, I really wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to be starving <laughs> at any point in time. So, so yeah, after a year of planning, I gave notice to United Regional in mid-February and I had to give them four months notice. So um, that was when I was able to start marketing was during that period of time. But before that, I had my website ready. I had Atlas MD set up so that when patients went to the website, all they had to do was go in and sign up and put their credit card in and be all ready to go and just really started marketing everything right away. I was lucky that, and I actually had sort of planned this some because I knew when I signed the contract with United Regional that I probably would open my own practice. And so I made sure that I didn't have a non-compete and that I didn't have a non-solicit. And so I was able to talk to my patients about where I was going and what I was doing, at least in a brief sense. And so I used every single patient encounter as a marketing opportunity. So I uh, had flyers printed up. I had my business cards ready. And so every patient that came in um, got a one-minute spiel about DPC and why I was doing this. And this is where I'm going to be. And here's my business card. And uh, by the end of June, before I started, I was starting at 278 patients that had signed up. And by the end of the first week, I had 300 patients signed up. And by the three-month mark, I was over 400 patients. So I was a growing super fast at this point. And I'm kind of a stickler about like making sure that patients have at least their original visit in the office so I can see them face-to-face, -face, so I can do an H&P. And so I literally had the entire month of July full <laughs> to the brim, you know, probably seeing 10, 15 patients a day doing, you know, initial interviews just because, you know, everybody paid for July. So I had to make sure everybody had their visit. So I did at first feel like, oh my God, I am, I am drowning. I am working just as much as I did in fee-for-service. This isn't really what I wanted. But I kept going because I knew that this was the right thing to do. I could see that people really wanted this type of practice in Wichita Falls. And um, I wanted to make sure that I could deliver everything that I was saying that I could deliver. And so... Um, so yeah, I worked really, really hard the first few months. In fact, the first uh, 10 months. Um, by about five months, I was getting to the point where I was really overwhelmed. 
So I decided to implement a soft wait list, um, which meant that my patients would wait somewhere between two and three weeks for an appointment. Then later on, it got out to like four to six weeks. And I wouldn't charge them, of course, until the month of their appointment. And so that soft wait list helped me a little bit and kind of cushioning myself. And I was full at 600 patients in 10 months. So very, very quick opening. There was probably only about 80 or so patients of that 278 patients that were the patients I was seeing at United Regional. So it's very interesting to note that it was really, I, I really think it was more of the legwork I was doing with my marketing to, you know, bring patients and, and have other people understand what I was doing. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure if, if it was the marketing, if it was that some of it, I think, was that patients were telling family members about it. Like, oh, hey, and I remember patients telling me, oh, hey, I, I, I don't want to do this, but I have a daughter who doesn't have any insurance and her family doesn't have insurance and I'm going to tell them about it. And so some of it, I think, was word of mouth in that sense that my patients may have given me some word of mouth marketing there. But yeah, it wasn't really all of my patients. It was really mostly community patients, which is very interesting. We have about 130,000, I believe, in kind of the county area. Um, and I definitely get patients from all around the county. So we're not a huge town, but we're certainly not super small either. So, um, but plenty of patients to go around. When you were deciding on your pricing, had you determined your pricing prior to handing in your, your notice when you had already developed your website and when you were already signed up with Atlas? Or did you develop your pricing strategy through talking with patients when you were in that last bulk of time? I felt like it was really important to be transparent from the very beginning and not just say, hey, here's this practice, like sign up, but I don't know how much it's going to be. <laughs> so, uh, you know, patients wanted to know like, well, how much is it going to cost me? And what is this and what is that? So I did feel like it was important to have that already ready to go so that it was very clear to patients, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. And then this is how much it's going to cost. Uh, so I developed my pricing really just based on, um, you know, speaking to some of the seasoned DPC doctors. A lot of them had age-based pricing, and I liked the idea of that just because I felt like with age-based pricing, I could potentially attract more young families with small children because I do like to do pediatrics and that sort of thing. And so... Um, and that's really what I do see in my practice now is that with the age-based pricing, I have a lot of young families, you know, a lot of people that have their own small businesses and that sort of thing. Um, and a lot of kiddos, um, about 20% of my practice is children. So um, that's kind of what I wanted. And it's the reason that I chose the pricing structure that I did because I knew I wanted to sort of have that type of demographic in my clinic. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Your calls for more content have not fallen on deaf ears. I am so excited to announce the My DPC Story Patreon community. Delve into exclusive full-length interviews with pioneers like Dr. Niti Kapoor, our inaugural physician guest, and get further enlightening insights from our current season's doctors, starting with Dr. Harpreet Sui. Hear our guests share even more, from their worst days to their best days and everything in between. 
Get access to this treasure trove of conversations and more by joining our My DPC Story community now. Check out the link in the show notes or go to patreon.com forward slash my DPC story fan. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash my DPC story fan. When you were talking with your patients and educating them about your DPC and DPC in general, what was your elevator speech? Now? One of the things that I came across and read while I was kind of trying to figure out what I was going to tell people was uh, the book by Simon Sinek, uh, St- Always Start, uh, I think it's called Start With Why. And um, it really it really struck a chord with me. And so always when I go to tell people what I do, I don't tell them like, oh, well, this is how much I charge and I charge a monthly membership. No. I always want to start with why I'm doing this. And so I always say something like, um, I really wanted to bring back the doctor-patient relationship and make sure that my patients and I had a good relationship and that there were no middlemen between uh, my patients and and myself. Um, So this is the reason why I decided to open this type of practice. Um, And so then I go on from there. And so I always want to kind of tell patients why so that they kind of are on board um, with my why before I even tell them how much it costs. And I still do that. You had mentioned having a soft enrollment wait list when the numbers in your practice were getting um, to a point where you felt that was necessary. Did those patients do any pre-enrollment payment in uh, anticipation for their first visit? Once I decided to implement the wait list because I was kind of drowning in so many patient visits per month, I would charge the enrollment fee, but then I wouldn't charge them their first month's visit until the month of their appointment. So if I enrolled them in uh, January, they would pay their $75 enrollment fee um, but I didn't see them till February, then they wouldn't pay their first month until February. Gotcha. And with regards to your pricing, you have on your website that the enrollment fee is waived if a person signs up and pays an, the annual rate. Was that something that you implemented early on? When I was doing my pre-enrollment during that four months that I was uh, still working for the hospital, I did actually waive the enrollment fee for patients that would sign up before the start date. Um, So that, I think, was a good marketing tool as well. Just saying, hey, you know, sign up now. That way you don't have to pay the enrollment fee. And then I did have the... uh, I did do the waiving of the enrollment fee with a year's payment from the very beginning. Um, And I think that was just something that I had noted on, I believe it was probably Josh Umber's uh, website that they, that they did something like that. And so just gives them a little more incentive to do the yearly if they wanted to do that. Absolutely. And one of the things I miss about conferences is that during a conference, you were able to speak with so many people and hear so many different strategies. And I think that, you know, going into planning DPC, take it all in and listen to what you're saying and what other people have uh, have thought about or done to tailor your practice for wh- what you want to make it. You know, it really just is a matter of what your preferences are with regards to what, what you want your patient population to look like and just 
you know, even different parts of the country have different ways of doing things. So definitely speaking with as many people as you can, people that are in similar situations, people that are in similar sized towns, um, all that kind of thing is wonderful to be able to gather information. That said, Kissy, after your initial experience with drinking from the fire hose, did you do community marketing like town halls or presentations with local businesses to continue so the momentum? So most of the marketing that I did was in that four-month period before I opened my practice, um, just because at, at, at that point, I felt like it was important to, to make the push for pre-enrollment. And I had a a little bit more time at that point too. So I did a town hall probably about a month before I opened my practice. I didn't have a huge turnout. There were probably 30 people there, but I do think there was a lot of word of mouth that got out. Um, I was able to use a local pharmacy. They have kind of a an educational area that they use for their own patients. And so they were, um, they allowed me to use it for free, which was great. You know, I had food and I had actually advertised for the town hall in the letter that they sent out notifying patients that I was leaving United Regional. United Regional sent out a letter, but I also sent out my own letter because in Texas, they actually have to give you the information for your own patients so that you don't abandon them. <laughs> so they gave me a list of the patients and their addresses and things, and I was able to send out my own letter and inviting everyone who wanted to know about what I was doing to that town hall. My banker was actually part of the Rotary Club, and he was really excited for me to speak to the Rotary Club. So I was able to do that um, and talk to a lot of business owners there about the benefits of having businesses join my practice. I also had a few companies after that that wanted me to come talk to their employees. And so I did speak to a few business employees. Some of them joined, some of them didn't. But I think certainly that just being out there and getting uh, your name across and people know what you're doing and who you are is important, even if you don't get the sale necessarily. And then I was just super gung-ho about talking to everyone. I spoke with people, you know, at the coffee shop, at the local restaurant, at the salon, at the grocery store. I mean, anywhere you saw me, I'd probably start talking to you about DPC. So for a little while, I think I lived and breathed DPC. <laughs> That's wonderful. Kissy, now that times have changed with the pandemic, do you have any words of advice or ideas for those people who might be wanting to, to do DPCs planning in residency where they can't as easily talk to people in person? This is a really difficult time to do any kind of in-person marketing, but I do still think it's, it's mainly a word of mouth thing. So I think it's still important to try to get in front of people. And sometimes you still can. I mean, there's definitely some opportunity for that, but there's also opportunities for not necessarily in person, but maybe Zoom calls or presentations and things that you can give online using social media like Facebook and Instagram to post videos and educational things. And certainly mailing things out if they're, and that was one of the things I think was a huge thing for me was being able to mail out letters to all my patients. It's a little more difficult. I definitely won't say that it's as easy as it, ha as it was for me right now. <laughs> 
And then also, you know, I love what you mentioned in terms of speaking with your patients about it after you had given your notice, right? That if a doctor is still seeing patients and that's a strategy that they can employ, especially with employed doctors, it's important to make sure that they know if they have a non-solicitation because they may not be able to say something to their patients, but, you know, they may be able to just hand them a business card. And so that's why I think it's super important to make sure your website and your, your infrastructure is really good before you go to start marketing to patients. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Thank you to Spruce Health for supporting the My DPC Story podcast. The ways we communicate have changed dramatically over the past decades, but technology and tools in healthcare have not kept pace. Patients want more access and digital convenience, as well as the ability to text their care teams. Care teams are inundated with more communication and rising expectations, but are still using tools and technology stuck in prior decades. Spruce Health created a solution for the tech-forward DPC practice by creating a communication product designed to serve both the patient and the doctor through intuitive HIPAA-compliant workflows, tagging, scheduled messages, and triage templates ready for use, whether you're on your phone or in the exam room. New users get 20% off for the first 12 months of a paid plan with code MARYAL20. That's M-A-R-Y-A-L-2-0. So check out Spruce Health today at sprucehealth.com or check out the link in the show notes. Thinking about your initial onboarding of patients, were there any patients who you felt were not a good fit? I've shied away and don't really like the idea of screening patients because I have had a lot of patients that seem to improve with, you know, giving them more time and actually being able to sit down and and really have a more caring doctor-patient relationship with them. So I'd like to give people the benefit of the doubt. But certainly there were patients that, you know, the first visit they came in and they were really demanding this, that, or the other. And most of the time, by the end of the first visit, we, you know, I could sort of direct that patient into like, hey, you know what, I think this is probably not the right practice for you. You know, we may want to reconsider, I'd be glad to refund you everything. And so it was, I I really had to do these things more face to face, just because I really don't like doing screenings. Um, But I know some doctors actually do initial um sort of get to know you visits, or I'm not exactly sure how they call them, um, meet and greet. I'm not a huge fan of the meet and greet, but I know that a lot of doctors do like to do that just so that they can say, hey, you know, I don't think you're going to be a good fit for my practice or however exactly they want to say that to them. But a lot of the times I would just let them go for a little while. And sometimes if they could see that I wasn't going to do what they wanted me to do. They would leave on their own. And so it wasn't really, you know, maybe not exactly ideal, but it was really kind of the way I like to do things just because I don't like to rock the boat with people too much. And I didn't want people to say, oh, well, I went to this practice and they told me I couldn't join. I didn't want the bad press on that either. And this, especially with what you shared earlier about the population of Wichita Falls, I could say something here today and tomorrow it would be all over town. So (laughs) definitely goes both ways in the good and the bad. On that note, with websites like Yelp and Vitals.com and HealthGrades, 
Do you manage or monitor? So I had a patient that was unhappy with my care and it was really not about the care. It was actually about, so she came in and had a well visit and she also ended up talking about anxiety. And so we build the well visit and we build for anxiety. And so she got very upset that she got billed for the anxiety part, even though that's a very valid way of doing things. Um, so she did go on to health grades and gave me this horrible review. And I don't know how I came across it exactly, but I came across the review and I thought, oh my gosh, I really need to make sure that I'm managing these things. And so, so I did claim my health grades website. I claimed vitals.com. I did, I don't think I've done ZocDoc, but maybe something I need to look into. But um, the other reason, too, was because I had a patient come in from she was using Yelp to try to find my practice and she couldn't find me because I wasn't listed on there. And when I and my name listing actually was still attached to the hospital and I actually had to fight with Yelp to allow me to use my own name. (laughs) It was really ridiculous. (laughs) So, um, so yes, I definitely encourage people to look themselves up on Google and just make sure that there's nothing out there that just looks weird or that should be claimed or that should be changed or fixed because you just never know where people are going to end up when they Google stuff. And I also have my Google profile. So if you have a new review or if, um, they'll also send you kind of like monthly, like, Hey, this is how many people viewed your site. They do that on Google for sure. Um, and sort of give you like some updates. So I don't do it very often, um, but I definitely go to look and, you know, probably review it. Um, Once uh, somebody posts a review and I get an alert about it, I'll go and kind of look at all those statistics and, you know, look at the review and all that kind of stuff. So, and of course we've had to move twice in the last three and a half years. And so I've also had to go back and change my address and, that has, that's just a pain in the rear to have to change your address with like everyone <laughs> and especially having to have done it twice. But that that's a good way to just to go back and make sure that all of that stuff is, is changed and fixed because otherwise people can't find you. And I want to segue into your physical space. You mentioned that you knew because you were from Wichita Falls originally, you know, where generally you wanted to have your clinic, but how did you find your space I do have a friend here in town who is a broker. She's a commercial broker and she has helped me multiple times now in finding a space, but I did go to her. She actually helped us find our home as well and say, Hey, I need a space. I need you to help me. And she was very happy to do that. So the first space that I had, I actually didn't take right away. So after I had called a local radiologist regarding, uh, uh, getting some cash pricing for radiology exams from them. They actually offered me a space in their building for free. He needed a doctor on site to be able to do CT scans, which they had just acquired a CT machine. Um, and in order to do IV contrast, there has to be an MD or a DO on site. And so he said, hey, if you'll come and do this for me, Um, I'll give you a space in my office for free. And it was about 650 square feet. So it wasn't a lot, but it was free. And all of my utilities were free and internet was free. And so there was um, a six month period of time where that was um, 
perfect. It was the perfect size and, you know, obviously the perfect price, (laughs) but it allowed me to grow really quickly. It allowed me to pay myself really quickly. And, you know, being the, the main breadwinner at home, it was, it was really great for me not to have to worry about losing my home or anything like that. So um, what happened with that one was that the radiology center closed down and it was sort of an abrupt thing. They sort of just got up and left. And so I ended up just having to move in a hurry and had to leave my space pretty quickly. And thank goodness the previous space that I had been looking at was actually still available. And so I was able to move into that space pretty quickly, which was great. And so this new space that I had was a thousand square feet. I had one giant like 20 by 14 room. And at first I was like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to do with this because I don't have time to do any kind of renovation or anything else. But it actually worked out great. We actually put everything in that room. We had some um, locked toolboxes, the big like utility toolboxes that with like cabinets and things um, that are all locked. And so, you know, we had everything in that one room. It was all locked up, but it was great because we had a couch in there and a place for the kids to play. And then on the other side of the room, I was seeing mom and dad and, you know, family members could be in there. So it actually worked out great. And we really enjoyed having that really large space. And then we also had another little smaller exam room where we, where my nurse did a lot of her stuff like drawing blood and testing for flu or whatever she may be doing on that side. We had a bathroom and then my office. So it was really tiny little space, but with a really big giant exam room. And we really loved it for a long time. And actually here recently, so in November, I came to find out that the space had been bought out by the home health company next door. And they gave me 90 days to get out of my space. So it was a little bit frustrating. And um, certainly I wasn't expecting it. I had thought before that I might, you know, move into a bigger space or, you know, expand or buy my own space. But I just never imagined that it would have to be this quickly. And thank goodness, um, it was, it's really amazing. It was kind of like it, like fate. There was a building that I had been looking at for a long time thinking, man, if that building ever went for sale, I would totally buy it. And sure enough, it was for sale. And so somehow we ended up closing on this building within four weeks, or I guess it was in six weeks of, of doing all of this planning. And we just moved into the space about two weeks ago. So we are really excited about our new location and now I own it. So I don't have to worry about ever being kicked out again, (laughs) which is great. So I'm excited to be able to own my own space now. And I do have a renter that I'm renting some of the space out to because our building is huge. So this new building is 3,400 square feet and excuse me, 3,900 square feet. And so I've rented her out one side of the building and she's actually a doctor of audiology. So she's got her sound booth and all of her equipment there. And so that'll be a really nice addition, I think, even to be able to send patients her way. How exciting, Kissy. That is fantastic. Yes. I want to ask, because you mentioned your nurse, when you opened your doors, did you have experience working with your nurse? 
worked with me um, in fee-for-service for two years before I decided to go into DPC. And she, I think, had the feeling that I was going to leave at some point. (laughs) And she said, if you ever leave, please take me with you. (laughs) I just remember her saying that. And so as soon as I started doing this, I knew that I wanted her to come with me. And before I knew how many patients I was really going to onboard, um, I had told her that we would wait until I got to like a certain number of patients. And I can't even remember what I told her now. And she was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. I just have to give two weeks notice. So it's not that big a deal. And then what had happened was actually the hospital was kind of pressuring her to tell them because I think they knew that I was probably going to take her with me. And she didn't want to tell them. She's like, I don't know. I'm not sure. She just kept trying to like put them off because she didn't want to, you know, she didn't want them to fire her or something along that line before I could pay her. And, um, but, you know, things worked out and, you know, we, I, I, I knew that I had reached whatever point of patience that I thought I was going to bring her on at. I reached that and then way surpassed it by the time our doors opened. And so I was like, nope, Jennifer, you're definitely coming with me. Just go ahead and tell them that you're putting your notice and I'll start paying you right away. So the nice thing was that I hired her two weeks before we started. And so in that two weeks, she just worked for me, answering the phone, scheduling patients, talking to patients about what DPC was. So that's how we ended up with so many patients at the end of the day, too. Currently, we have 711 patients. I've added about 35 patients over the last four weeks just because I want to make sure that I can pay a bigger mortgage and that kind of thing. And so I wanted to be sure that I wasn't going to have any income gap. And I asked her before, I said, hey, do you think you need me to hire somebody for you? Like, would you rather me just hire a front desk person? And she told me, she said, I really don't feel like I'm that busy. So if, you know, I would rather you pay me a little bit more than for you to hire somebody else. And I was like, done. (laughs) So I pay her well. And, you know, she can't leave because I don't think she'll ever find that kind of salary anywhere else. But she and I work really well together. She anticipates all my needs. She's actually been a manager at a store in the past. And so she manages all of the member management stuff so well. She's very good with customer service. Um, She knows DPC front and back just like I do. I really feel like she and I opened this practice together. And I think that's what's been so great about it. That's wonderful. And it it definitely sounds like the dream person that if if a doctor in doing DPC was wanting to have a a partner. If you feel like you can onboard a person um, right away, especially someone that you know well, and that you know works well with you, that you trust, those obviously are all important qualities in someone you want to hire. And Kissy, does Jennifer get a 401k or health benefit? Her husband actually carries health insurance for them through his job. And I I haven't done a 401k just because I hadn't, you know, I was still sort of in the starting phase and things. And so, but I have actually been considering doing that here in the near future. With the value that you bring having a direct primary care practice in Wichita Falls, I wanted to ask about medication dispensing because in Texas, doctors are restricted in terms of how they can dispense medicines to patients. You know, a lot of the talk between people that were starting DPC or or even the people that were already seasoned DPC, they talked a lot about 
medication dispensing and how much value that brought to the practice. So it was a little bit nerve wracking to think that I couldn't do that. I'll have to tell you that I don't think that it has really been a hindrance for me. You know, I I am still able to dispense a few things out of my office just because Texas does allow you to dispense up to three days of medication, but I don't do a lot of that. I do I do Diflucan for patients that come in with yeast infection. Um, I do azithromycin for people that come in with chlamydia or people that have STD exposure, and I do Zofran for people that come in with nausea and vomiting. So, so those are things I can definitely dispense in three-day increments, and and it kind of works out. And of course, I also do sampling, and um, I've gotten very good at finding reps to come out and see me and bring me stuff. And you know, I've got whole binders full of cards for reps, which is great. Um, we have a whole closet full of lots of different types of samples. So the nice thing about DPC is that because we don't have tons of patients, I may only have one or two patients for each type of medication that needs each type of medication. Um, so, you know, getting enough samples for them to kind of keep them going isn't really terribly difficult. That said, Kissy, with you using Atlas, instead of using Atlas for an inventory of medicines that you self-dispense, do you use that inventory Th- that for are what? medicines I'm sorry? that you have uh, that are samples? Samples. Um, I don't actually use it for samples. But- it got really difficult because um, in Atlas, it kind of has like, especially when you get samples, you get sort of different lot numbers and you may have like you know, six different boxes of uh, with different lot numbers on them. And so it would just get really, really bogged down um, having like a bazillion lot numbers in there. So I don't really like using it for that. I feel like it's not useful because if I go in there to dispense something and it's the wrong lot number, then I'm really not giving them any information anyway. So what we do is we actually just uh we document in the patient's chart the lot number and the expiration and everything and what was given to the patient. But then we we do use the inventory for our injectables because we do still do injectable medications. Um, and we do a little bit of DME as well. So like wrist splints and lately it's been pulse oxes and things like that. You mentioned that your practice has now over 700 patients and right now your website lists signups on the wait list because you're not accepting new patients at this time. Um, can you talk, can you touch mm-hmm. on churn? We did have um, a hard wait list where we only really took patients off the wait list when we kind of got down to, you know, where our churn was really getting too high. Um, so for me, uh, that number was about 650 at the time. So if I ever got to under 650 or getting close to 650, I would take a few patients off the wait list because I was kind of hovering at 680 most of the time. So we had, after COVID started, our wait list actually doubled. So we actually had about 90 patients on our wait list before I started taking people off, uh, because of my building purchase. Um, so we had quite a few people that were waiting, but we started taking patients off of the wait list in December, um, just in anticipation of buying our new building. And uh, my goal is to hopefully get up to um, around 750. So we're not quite exactly where I want to be just yet, but the the 90 patients off the wait list, I probably got about 40 of those. The rest of them had already found a PCP and a lot of them have actually had actually been on the wait list for about a year. So it definitely was 
you know, not something I was really taking people off too quickly before all this happened. And actually what's really interesting is that I felt like the attrition rate actually went way down during COVID. I think people were just like, oh no, I'm keeping my doctor at that point, you know, like, so I really didn't have a lot of people leave and I didn't have anybody leave because of financial reasons. So that was very interesting. I've actually had more people leave here in January just because, you know, how January goes, people start oh, I got insurance and, um, oh, I, I don't want to pay for it anymore. I didn't use you or whatever they want to excuse it. So I've had more attrition in this month than I've actually had, but I, I usually expect that in January. And if people decide to leave, do you have them pay a re-enrollment fee if they Yes, there is accepted? a $200 re-enrollment fee. I've only had two patients that have actually paid to come back I've had a couple of patients that, you know, it, it was it was kind of not a, through no fault of their own. And so it, with those patients, certainly on a patient by patient, I won't charge the enrollment fee. So it really kind of depends. But yes, we usually do charge the re-enrollment fee if they decide to come back. Kissy, addressing the quality and the value that you you bring to patients and you bring to your practice and, you know, the the reason why patients stick with you do you strategically classify your patients in terms of like these patients have diabetes or these patients are, are pediatric patients uh, in order to contact that group of patients? Just don't find a lot of value in that. But I do sometimes go in and look at, you know, utilization, for instance, like, okay, like who's been the one person that's like calling me constantly? Um, you know, what I do with that information, I, you know, I don't always do anything with it, but um, I do like to look at stats with regards to like how many pediatric patients I have, how many older patients. There's not a really great way for me to mine data with regards to like how many diabetic patients or how many hypertensives or how many with this or that. The Atlas doesn't have functionality very good for that type of mining. But certainly looking at demographics and, you know, the utilization and that sort of thing is, is or, you know, when they joined, um, how long they've been with me, that kind of thing. Um, certainly interesting things to look at, but I don't think I necessarily use that information for anything in particular. Gotcha. Kissy, I want to touch on the fact that you offer a, a wide range of treatments for your patients when it comes to procedures. Um, and one of those examples is the sphenopalatine uh, ganglion blocks. Did you have experience in your training in doing these? I thought I wanted to be a surgeon before I decided to do family practice. And so I think I kind of still have retained some of that uh, need. And I love doing all kinds of procedures. I mean, I do anything from laceration repair, nerve blocks, joint injections, TPI, um, cyst removal, skin biopsies, IUDs, nexplodons, EMBs. Um, so lots of different things that um, I offer to patients. And most of these things were things that I learned in residency and in training um, because um, at John Peter Smith in Fort Worth, it was a very procedure oriented type of residency program. And so anything I wanted to do, I really could do. So that that's part of it, but I certainly have added some things that I didn't do before that. So the sphenopalatine block is a good example of that. I had a patient come in and tell me that she was getting these 
nerve blocks from this nurse practitioner in Dallas, which is two hours from here. And she was seeing the neurologist and I guess the neurologist nurse practitioner was doing these blocks for her. And so I started doing some research about what these blocks were and what she was actually getting there. And I realized that it was something so simple, something that I could absolutely do. And so um, I started uh, trying to talk to the company about using uh, it, I, the company I was looking at was um, Sphenocath. And I spoke with them and they actually sent me a few free ones. And then I realized I could reuse them. I could clean them and reuse them because we were just putting them up people's noses. It's not like we were, you know, doing anything that was really requiring sterility. And so we would clean them very well with alcohol and then we would reuse them. So I started doing that and had such wonderful results with people that had um, just intractable migraine issues that I just kept doing it. And then I started learning other types of blocks as well, like occipital blocks and super orbital blocks. And so lots of different things that we were doing for people with migraine headaches, which is great because migraines are always really difficult to deal with. And then I've also done a lot of TPI with trigger point injections for pa patients. I didn't ever used to do that in fee-for-service, but it does really seem like I've had a lot of fibromyalgia patients and patients with a lot of pain that really benefit from doing kind of regular trigger point injections. Um, so I have several patients that'll come in every two weeks or every four weeks to do trigger points. And they really feel like it helps with their quality of life and they don't have to use pain medications and we keep them off the narcotics. And so that's great too. But uh, with regards to learning new things, one of the newer things I've learned is actually um, ultrasound technique, uh, which has been really great. Um, I never really did get to learn about that stuff during residency. And so it's definitely been a new thing for me. I've actually taken two courses for ultrasound, one out in South Carolina and one in California. And both were just amazing programs and both were kind of intros. But I think uh, the, the one out in California, I probably got a little bit more in depth, which was great because this was my second one. And um, I've been able to find all kinds of crazy things. <laughs> uh, one of the more interesting things that I've been able to look for, I had a patient with potential myxedema coma and he came in and his TSH was just insanely through the roof and he was short of breath and he was pale and he just looked like he was dying. And um, you know, I stuck the ultrasound on his chest and sure enough, he had a huge pericardial effusion. And so I was able to get him to the ER and know exactly what was going on. And so it was really, it was really nice to be able to have that tool and know exactly what was happening with him and to be able to follow him too, because I'd bring him back and look at it again, make sure it was getting smaller and he was getting better. And so it's a, a, a very nice tool to have. With you describing that particular patient's case how how life-changing is that for you to be able to see him as often as you, you guys needed to, to monitor his, his health? I can't imagine what he would have faced if he were waiting for a fee-for-service appointment to do follow-ups and what quality he would have gotten. But that's wonderful that you were able to diagnose and treat. One of the other things I think that was really great that I had been able to use it for was a, 
a pretty big lady who had fallen and really hurt her knee. And it was real swollen. She had terrible landmarks because her leg was just so large. And so I was able to stick the ultrasound on her and actually get a steroid injection into her knee. Um, and she was singing my praises by the time she left the office because she felt so good. And there's no way I would have been able to do that injection without an ultrasound. That's wonderful. I want to shift the conversation because I feel it's really important to address the fact that you are the current secretary of the DPC Alliance. And so I wanted to ask you, could you explain what is the DPC Alliance? We wanted to create this alliance that helped with education and um, advocacy for DPC, helping new doctors create their own practice and helping seasoned doctors continue their practice. And so it's been evolving over the years. Certainly it started off more as helping new DPC doctors through, and we still definitely do that. But now we also are hoping. And and of course, with COVID, we were kind of unable to do some of the things that we wanted to do. But we do eventually want to make sure that the DPC Summit has things like procedure workshops so that docs that are wanting to learn new procedures and new things can actually learn some new techniques. And, you know, even things like how do we do aesthetics and how do we add prolotherapy and how do we add, you know, just different types of things to growing practices as well. So we want to be able to make sure that we take care of our growing practices as well as our new practices. So that being said, we're actually in the process of planning a lot of things for this new year. And one of the things we did last year that was really great, we didn't get to do as many as we wanted, but we did get to do a few of our mastermind events. And those have just been so great. I actually have been to two mastermind events because I really kind of like to be there for mentorship. I went to the one in Portland as well as the one in Raleigh this year. And it's just amazing to be able to have sort of one-on-one with people that are um, in the process of opening their practice or potentially already in practice and just wanting a little bit more help. And it was very nice to be able to do those one-on-one things for people and really help them where they were. Um, We had about... Oh, and I'm I'm not entirely sure exactly how many numbers, but I think we had about 10 people at the first one in Portland where I went. And then in Raleigh, I want to say there were like 15. So there was definitely a small number, which is what we want. And we didn't want it to be too big. And of course, with COVID this year, we really couldn't make it too big. Then we also had a, a much larger one in Kansas City just after the Raleigh one. And they just did a wonderful job in making sure that everybody was safe and that we had sort of um, separate groups and so that we weren't in a big group. But there were quite a few people on that one too, which was wonderful. So I think we had a very good response from that. And people were really excited about going. They felt like they learned something. They felt like they really got what they needed. And I think it was, it's kind of goes to what you were saying before with when you can actually interact with people in person and really discuss things and really talk things out and ask your own personal questions, what your own personal fears may be in obstacles to getting to DPC. It's so much different than just reading things online or that sort of thing. So so certainly the in-person events are great. The other thing I think that's really awesome about DPC Alliance is that we have something called DPC University. 
So this was actually created by a bunch of us that actually flew into Dallas one year, and we all started writing articles about different topics in DPC, and we created several hundred articles that are now in the DPC University, and they are basically there um, meant to kind of um, gear uh, new new, uh, DPC doctors uh, into into their own practice, um, but we also want to continue to grow it so that we can also add topics for growing DPC practices, um, as well as educational type of things. And um, so the uh, well, and I'll come back to the educational part. But um, so there's lots of different things in DPC University that are, that are really great for starting practices. And one of the main ones that I kind of like to point people to is our DPC startup checklist. So we actually went through and just started thinking about what kinds of things new DPC practices needed to make sure they did. And so there's a nice little short checklist that um, they can go through. And that's actually free. So in our first three sections are actually free for starting doctors, which is great. Um, Certainly if uh, they would join the DPC Alliance. There's actually quite a bit more in there. And we also have things like sample patient contracts, sample employer contracts, sample employee contracts, um, Medicare waiver, um, HIPAA forms, all kinds of things in there that are really useful for starting doctors. The other thing that we've been doing is trying to implement more education. And um, so we've actually had uh, Dr. Thomas White Uh, doing some DPC ground rounds. And those are actually located on the DPC Alliance Facebook group, which is actually currently just for Alliance members. But we've had some really wonderful topics on the uh, DPC ground rounds. And, um, you know, I think that's hopefully something we can continue to grow to. I think that uh, there's definitely advantages to being a member that actually end up paying for themselves at the end of the day. One of the nicer things is that we actually do offer a monthly payment. So you can pay $48 a month and that way you don't have to worry about paying that $500 up front. Um, Certainly in the spirit of DPC, we wanted to make sure that we offered a monthly option as well. So that's one way of doing things. The other is that we have so many discounts. We have so many things that we have negotiated for our members. And, you know, just saving money in Rubicon and allergy choices and these types of things actually pays for the membership in and of itself. We do have hardship memberships for people that are still in the beginning of their practice where they feel like they can't afford the membership right away. Um, So we do ask that they email us at the Alliance and we can definitely uh, look into doing a hardship application for them. I wanted to bring us back to your practice and the fact that you now own your building that you are practicing out of. What do you see for Clarity Direct Care in the future? Now that I have a much bigger space, I think um, hiring someone wouldn't be completely out of the question. I certainly have the room for it now. Um, I would I would want to find somebody that really fits well with my practice and how I do things. Eventually, we do hope to have maybe a front desk person just to kind of give my nurse a little bit of relief too. And that certainly can come later on as well. 
so yeah, I think that's part of the growth is maybe adding a new doctor, maybe adding some front desk staff and certainly adding any more um, procedural based things that I end up coming across later on. Wonderful. In terms of advice that you could share in addition to what you've shared already, what advice would you give doctors who might be fearful of transitioning to DPC or to those doctors who might feel isolated in a micro practice? As you can see, and as we've talked about, there are so many groups and ways to connect with colleagues and to connect with people that are already doing DPC, DPC Alliance, DPC Docs on Facebook, DPC Summit, DPC Nuts and Bolts, so many different ways to connect with other DPC doctors. And it's really amazing how DPC is really a family. I mean, when you come across another DPC doctor, it's it's almost like you are speaking the same language at that point. I usually tell those types of doctors that are sort of scared of jumping ship like that because they're, they may be alone, that they really need to go to a conference. Um, they need to to see how other doctors are actually doing this. Because when we're in fee-for-service practice, we're almost in competition and you almost kind of feel like you're isolated even though you're surrounded by people. It's always seems like a competition. It never really seems like it's genuine. And so I think it's a very different culture in the DPC world. And if you, if they'll just go to a conference and actually meet DPC doctors, I remember that that was the one thing that I, I just couldn't believe when I was at the DPC summit in 2016 was, I can't believe how these doctors really genuinely want to help me and genuinely want to see me succeed. And I think that's a really important for for uh, new doctors to feel. Thank you for sharing those wise words. And I, I can't <laughs> agree more. That's my experience yes. when I met you for the first time. When we all grouped together for an Airbnb for the, the point of Carol Trist class. But yeah, I, I had never met you before. And it was such a wonderful yeah. experience talking with you and that idea of, of, of sharing the same language. It's so true. What is the best way for others to reach out to you after this podcast? The best way to contact me is by email, and that's drblackwell at claritydirectcare.com. Thank you so much, Dr. Blackwell, for joining us today. Thank you, Marielle. I really enjoyed being on here. Next week, as a special nod to Mother's Day, Look forward to hearing from Dr. Blackwell's mom, Dr. Rosa Torres, and her dad, Dr. Oscar Torres. Yep, they're both DPC doctors as well. Don't forget to sign up to be a My DPC Story Insider to get our newsletter with exclusive insider offerings like events, updates, resources, and much more. If you like what you heard today, please leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tell your friends, too. For more information on this episode and much more, please visit MyDPCStory.com. And for the latest in DPC news, check out dpcnews.com. Until next week, this is Marielle Conception. Conception.